Welcome to FinTech Fridays. Oh yeah! A weekly podcast brought to you by the National Crowdfunding and FinTech Association of Canada and Partners. Covering all things FinTech, blockchain, P2P, AI, and alternative finance. everybody. Hopefully you're having a fantastic day. Macy Connor and you are tuning to Fintech Fridays, brought to you by the National Fintech and Crowdfunding Association, also known as the NCFA. Today, I have the absolute pleasure of having Alan Wunsch, the CEO of Token Founder. Alan, thank you so much for sitting down with me today. Pleasure to be here. Awesome. Thank you. No, absolutely. I'd love to, just for a second, for I guess some of the audience members that may not know who you are and what your company is. Could you just for a minute tell us who you are and what Token Funder is? Sure thing. So uh, my name is Alan Wincha and I am the CEO of Token Funder. Uh, who I am. So I started in blockchain uh, four years ago, having uh, left the, the traditional banking uh, space. So I, I worked at uh, as an executive in a fairly large bank, uh, but I left and uh, and who I am really is a leader of a company that is on the leading edge of a lot of this um, new era of, of funding and uh, alternatives to to what is currently our financial infrastructure and banking system. So token funder, and we can talk about it anything you want to in terms of your questions. So I'm sure you'll have lots of them, but I'll just say token funder as a company, we started on this journey of two years ago to build a platform for companies to use in a legal regulatory compliant way such that they could use latest in blockchain technology and bring their company to the market and use it as a a funding vehicle so that uh, these companies that, that would go onto the platform can raise funds and and do that in a way that helps really drive a democratization of ownership. So what drove Token Funder is not that we could just do something that was happening already and uh, you know crowdfunding existed for sure. And that was a real kind of eye-opener that we could also do crowdfunding, but in really interesting ways on um, through blockchain. So we took the approach that we were going to take a company, keep it in Canada, build it in Canada, use it initially as um, a service for, for Canadian companies, and then go global. So in a nutshell, Token Funder, building really a, an alternative funding mechanism and some additional services that now make us look like a funding and growth company for startup companies and scale-ups. So we're getting interest from not just your super early startups, but also companies that are uh, in market as well. That, that sounds very exciting. I can't wait to, I don't know if you can talk about that, but maybe next time when you come on the show, I'd love to dive a little bit deeper on like the growth stuff that you guys are very interested in. Sure. We can talk, uh, we can talk a little bit about that today. Okay. Awesome. You mentioned you guys are actually, you're going to help companies when it came to regulation. Could you talk a little bit more about that? Because when you think of raising tokens and raising up regulations definitely been something that people have been concerned of. If not, there's been a lot of ambiguity when it came to regulations. When you talk about regulations, what does that mean to you? And sure. like, what does that come from your eye? Sure, sure. We already have the fairly well-established securities regulations in Canada, the US, UK, Australia, and other places, right? So 
these regulations um, that we're referring to include securities regulations. They also include anti-money laundering regulations that um, that the government uh, is, is obviously concerned about. So when you think about um, looking at the kind of journey we had, so when I talk about the regulatory route that we had, we started working with the Ontario Securities Commission's launch pad when it first came out. And we looked and said, okay, we, we looked around and there were some early indications that uh, that at least one company essentially had to leave or decided to leave, didn't have to, but decided to leave and, uh, and incorporate in another jurisdiction and could have been you know, Barbados or Switzerland or one of these others. And the reason for that being that... Um, that the regulators didn't have as much certainty for them or that um, very likely their particular business was going to result in a, a securities offering. So these companies said to themselves, well, we'll establish ourselves in another jurisdiction so that essentially we don't have to worry about the, the regulatory concerns or restrictions that may be placed on, on the company here in Canada. And that actually worked really well in 2017 and into you know the, the mid part of 2018. So they raised a lot of cash. Now, where the story is important for your audience, um, if you're going to go down this road. So you know those companies that raised a lot of cash outside did not include a process that's referred to as KYC, and and sometimes a little misunderstood. But I'm sure you've talked about that with the. Uh, uh, in previous podcasts, I'll just repeat it. Um, KYC meaning know your customer or know your client. And in the in the traditional kind of initial coin offering um, process that that you could have undertaken outside of Canada, US, and and as I said, like Australia or the UK, you could go out and you can anonymously raise funds from pretty much anyone in the world because blockchain allows for that to happen fairly anonymously. So, you know, not purely anonymously, but but we won't get into the technology around that. So a company could go to, to Switzerland or Barbados or the Caymans and, you know, these other jurisdictions and say, okay, set up shop. We've got a new business uh, and uh, you can invest in us, quote unquote, right? Um, but we're not going to worry about who you are. We're not going to really uh, worry about those things. Well, if you're going to do that in Canada, if you're going to do that as a Canadian company in Canada, there's very kind of clear guidance and, and regulations that you really have to understand who that person is that's investing. And the reason for that is because you have to also understand their risk profile. So you know your customer just doesn't mean you actually know what their, you know, what their name is and where they live. But for the sake of investor protection, and this is throughout Canada, throughout US, for the sake of investor protection, you really have to understand the the risk profile of the of the investor and whether your particular investment is a good suitable investment for for your business or for them into your business, I should say. So the so I'm just kind of drawing some kind of contrasts for you and any audience at this point, because you know what's um, happened is that we've gone through kind of a two-year process here of working with the regulators, and we added KYC. So I'll, I'll talk about maybe our token offering. We added KYC as a process in terms of our Canadian offering. That's in contrast to a company that you know didn't do that. 
Well, now the OSC and the SEC are coming back around to these coin offerings that happened over 2017 and 18 and saying, well, you were actually selling an unregistered security. <laughs> and and if you've not protected yourself and it was impossible to do so, you've allowed Canadian residents to invest in your business. We have a problem with that. So when we did our token offering, this is the process we went through last year. So we started last over the winter into the early part of 2018 to, through the whole hype cycle of, of all these ICOs. And here we are in, in Canada doing a token offering that has KYC, understands the risk suitability of, of these uh, potential investors. And, and we turned a lot of people away that were interested in investing because uh, we determined you know, that it wasn't just suitable investment for, for some of them. So it's essentially an online process uh, that we installed and we know who the investor is. So we whitelist them in a, a smart contract. And then we also token it. We also issued a token, uh, which we call the FNDR token. And that token also had some rights. So I'm going to I'll continue a little bit along the contrasting because many of those new projects that went out in 2017 and 2018 outside of our jurisdiction would have terms essentially that that included something like you're contributing to this particular project but uh, frankly you have no rights whatsoever just hope and pray that our new protocol token will be appreciating in value and oh by the way you can go and trade it and pump and dump it on on a, one of these new digital exchanges well, that's what our regulators here refer to as the Wild West. We uh, contrasted that with, okay, so if you're going to invest in a, in a Canadian uh, startup such as ours, um, you're going to have to have some uh, patient money, and we won't um, issue our token on a digital exchange that you can go pump and dump in uh, because we, we just don't believe it's appropriate next to other, our regulators, by the way, in, in the Canadian context, and uh, you'll as long as you have some patient capital and you're willing to um, consider it uh, risk capital, then then we think it's um, you know appropriate for a part of your portfolio. So just like any other kind of proper investment process, we implemented those kind of steps and we had an offering memorandum and we had um, an annual report attached to the offering memorandum, I should say an audited financial kind of report. And that's the kind of disclosure that investors expect. Now, I'll just stop there because I'm sure you've heard of the whole you know, speculation craze that happened with initial coin offerings and now it's kind of like fallen apart and, and for good reason out there in kind of the broad world. You, you did mention a really good point of talking about how KYC, is, it goes a little bit further than other than the baseline surface level, like, like first name, last name and where you're really from, right? It's, I'm glad that you guys actually took a little bit more of initiative of understanding, not only is it important of understanding who you are, but would this be a good enough investment for you, right? Like not even like, oh, hey, yeah, cool. This is money. We're taking it. It's you guys have a more of a screening process, more of a vetting process, which hopefully more companies like yourself in the space start to adopt and actually have these like set requirements that people have to kind of meet to either throw their money in. And like you mentioned, patient money, like that's People, again, pe- people really don't think of patient money when you talk about blockchain or crypto because they think, again, they think pump and dump, which makes sense because a lot of the news and a lot of the media out there, it's very much, of, oh, look at this coin. It went from zero to 100 million and then the founders just disappeared or they just shut everything down, right? 
Yeah, I mean, this is really important because, and I hate the term pump and dump, okay? That's, but unfortunately, it's out there. Yeah, I'm not um, a fan of it either. You know, and I'll also add, we didn't invent this. These are best practices that are already baked into our securities legislation. Not everyone appreciates this. So when we started working with the Launchpad, you know, it was, it was a learning experience on both sides. So we shared everything we knew about blockchain. We came in and said, this is how it all works. We're going to tokenize these businesses. Oh, well, what does that mean? And we can talk a little bit about that subsequently. But okay, sounds interesting. Sounds like something really novel. Now we'll also make sure that you're aware of how, you know, we expect companies to behave like good corporate citizens in the Canadian space. And, you know, it's it's very clear if, if you choose to look for it, that it says, when you accept investment into your business, you need to understand a person's risk profile. In fact, you know, that's what goes on in the online trading world today. And, you know, there, there are existing rules that say, essentially, you're supposed to look at every time anyone makes a trade that it's a risk suitable trade for them. And there's all kinds of online verifications that people have to do. So very similar. Just because we are in a new space doesn't mean that we have to create everything from scratch. And I and I want to make that point because we took the time to to really understand, you know, what the big boys let's let's call it were doing, and then applied it to our particular case. So we scaled it down to make it appropriate for us. And we got some particular uh, exemptions for our token offering, such as being able to raise funds from our own platform, which is something that traditionally you're not allowed to do. So there were certain things that we essentially were allowed to experiment with. And this is part of trying to, frankly, you know, do the right thing, work with, it, work with our regulators, and, and use the latest innovative technology. Now, for, for your benefit and others, uh, let me be clear, that's a long process. Uh, so it would have been, and trust me, uh, in terms of temptation, it would have been a one-month process for us to go to uh, Barbados or <laughs> Caymans or, or Switzerland or another place like that, raise $20 million. We ended up doing about a nine-month process. So not for the faint of heart to, to stay here. There's, there's a lot of uh, regulatory you know, discussions that ended up happening, just to be super clear about that. But you know what? Uh, at the end of the day, I think we're proving out that um, doing it for the right reasons and, and doing the right thing actually lets you sleep at night and, and hopefully uh, lets you kind of do right by everyone in the space. And, and I mean, you know, I, I've been in the space now for four years when Ethereum kind of hit the, hit the world. I saw it launch with a small uh, folks uh, here in Toronto. And I was disappointed that Ethereum had to leave the, the country for Switzerland. I understood how it was kind of regulatory uncertainty and other reasons that, that drove um, that decision. But that, that, you know, still, still. You want to build a business for the right reasons and act accordingly. My background, I didn't mention this um, 
you know, as a CA now, now we're, now we're um, part of the new CPA organization and, you know, there's ethics and guidelines and all of that good stuff that uh, frankly went out the window in the, the ICO craze. And it was disappointing to see all those ICOs that kind of tarnish the image of the the blockchain industry. So, Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, moving forward, we're we're living in an environment now but i'll just add that uh, you know while we're using the blockchain technology uh, you know we're also that kind of company although we're called token funder we're not saying to people uh, you know we're somehow you know blockchain or you know bitcoin evangelists or ether evangelists if it makes sense for your business we're gonna we're gonna help you out yeah like you you've mentioned a couple things right there's there's always going to be bad actors if that makes sense in i guess any new emerging industry it's just do again like you've said doing the right thing is always the right thing and helps you sleep at night right it, it would have been a lot easier for and you're seeing a lot of these crypto companies going to the cayman islands or going to switzerland or what have you and not really knowing that like okay hey cool like this okay awesome the cayman islands is very right now they're very willing to work with crypto companies and everything. But this goes back down to KYC of knowing your customer and knowing, okay, cool. But what about everybody else? What about people in the rest of the world? What about the Canada in the US and all the other markets that are very, if not apprehensive when it comes to this new market, you can't really tackle them and you can't really maximize mm-hmm. or just, re- sorry, mm-hmm. if not, if anything, you can't really capitalize on them because they're restricted to the rules and regulations just because you're not, it's not as an even playing field as you might really think. It's a temporary it's, fix, if anything. Yeah. Yeah, it's really complex because, as I said, the temptation was there. And the temptation was strong enough for a lot of companies to go and do it, frankly. And, you know, to say, well, we're going to do this in another jurisdiction and we'll eventually come home and try to, <laughs> well, let's, let's, let's just park that because... There, there's there's tax reasons also that that people make tax or you know businesses make mm-hmm. tax decisions to go to these kind of tax havens and and we get all that now ultimately you're going to have to come back here ultimately if your business is here and and you're interested in in living and working in this great country then you have to come back around to our environment now so all of that I want to make it clear that it's a process that I believe in and and yet. We're trying to make change within the regulatory regime. There are outdated regulations. There are, there's no question about it. There are regulations today that benefit the big, big players mm-hmm. and the incumbents. So, you know, a startup getting into this space for alternative funding and a startup like ours that is looking to, to have a marketplace for these, uh, these future tokens, that's great. Trust me that um, the kind of system that's in place today makes it difficult. So we're trying our, our level best to, to, to get change and to get exemptions and to, and to make some of these um, you know, existing regulations work for, for startups that want to innovate in the space. Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, it makes sense because like, we definitely talked in the past. I mean, if, if anything, last episode, we talked about how uh, we had Charlene from CoinSquare. Oh, for and, sure. Yeah, yeah, I like Charlene. Charlene's yeah. <laughs> great. <laughs> yeah, no, she, she really is. She, she mentioned, she's like, hey, like, people have to understand that the banks had 20 years at this and they're still, I mean, to this day, they're still trying to figure out regulations and everything. So mm-hmm. it kind of makes sense that, especially in the startup community in Canada, it's very, it's, it's very new. It's, it's very new around the world. Entrepreneurship is finally getting the warm embrace that it's been longing for for so many years now. 
it, it makes sense that I guess for the time being that it is the uphill battle and hopefully within due time with amazing players like you and amazing players like her, the regulators, be it the government or be it any other bodies, understand where where you guys are kind of coming from and understanding that, hey, like having regulations that are not as rigid, a little bit more fluid, it only benefits everybody in the long run. Yeah, I'll just add to also to, to this point. There are a lot of restrictions about what uh, what investors can do, and for you know, there, there's a lot of good reasons historically for that. Now we're moving into a world where the millennial generation wants to manage their own, you know, portfolios. They they want the kind of freedom that a uh, a decentralized marketplace um, can offer them. They look around and, you know, we talk to many that, you know, they're in their 20s and 30s and, and you know, they're, they're saying, why, why are these startups and innovative companies kind of limited to the accredited investors that are the really wealthy ones? So why did the really wealthy people get to continue to, to get first dibs, if you will, on the really great next investments? And that was really one of those um, kind of, if, if you will, big whys or big reasons for us pushing for the democratization where, where we said we could have easily have cut short our timeline for um, our own token said, yeah, yeah, our legal and others said, yeah, this is easy. Just let accredited investors in and shut out all the retail investors. And we said, no, we really believe deeply that this is a space now that let's say a startup is, is, is getting some traction it can go to the marketplace and wants to wants to have you know a, a broad ownership pool of, of its platform let's say like let's just say there's you know that the future airbnb and, and wants to a broad level of ownership you know through this new mechanism well you know is it limited to, to just accredited investors we don't believe it necessarily needs to be as long as again the the retail investors aren't spending you know or investing um, everything they know into a super high risk or everything they have into a super high risk investment that uh, kind of throws caution to the wind. But, but it's, but, but it, you know, I want to get the point across here that you know, we, we've got the ability to make it easy for someone to, to go directly to a company and invest almost directly without traditional kind of financial intermediaries that, that are the big, names that you might see today and I uh, you know won't describe them but but you can apply new technology in a way that that really reduces the friction between the investor and the company and, and we want to open that up to the the, the retail investor and if, and if you think it's like crowdfunding well it's like crowdfunding on on a new level yeah and it's, uh, and it's <laughs> yeah oh for sure and then and then we're looking at um you know, traditionally, when you invest in a private company, uh, there there are pretty strict rules for for traditional reasons that are that are still good reasons about the liquidity. And uh, you know, there were there were so many of these ICOs that said you would get immediate liquidity, and you can go. You know, you don't have to believe in the company. You can go and get an immediate liquidity on you know X, Y, or Z digital exchange, and and that's great. Do whatever you want. On the other end of the spectrum, we've traditionally been very restrictive about, uh, or quite restrictive about what you know the retail 
um, liquidity can look like in a private company. And, and we believe that um, there's you know, changes that should happen. So it's a bridge, right? We, we In effect, we as a company are, are looking to, and have been, you know, I describe ourselves as kind of a bridge, the traditional way things were working and, and the existing kind of regulatory environment. But I mean, it, we've, we've got very clear regulations. Yeah, we, no, I, we can change I, them. It is very important to, again, have companies like you, have amazing people like you in the space to make not only the old traditional world, but also the new world understand of like, like millennials like me, I'm like, yeah, no, why can't I invest in the next Airbnb? I'm not a credit investor, but I'd love to. Like, that'd be amazing. Or well, why? Yeah, today, 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 you wouldn't be able to. They, they, exactly. Because there's so yeah. many, because right now, to become a credit investor, there's so much more criteria you have to meet. And like you said, for private companies, it's even more so, right? It, there, there's even more rules and even more red tape for just a 23-year-old college student like me to like invest in the next Airbnb, right? Like, we're not there yet, but it's very exciting that it could be on track and that there's stuff put in place to make sure that one day everybody can potentially invest in the next Airbnb and it's well, not exactly. even. That's, that's the exciting part about this. And, uh, and you know, I talked to so many, um, you know, I, I still feel young, um, but, uh, but I'm not as young as, as you know, the you are. And, no, and, no, you're, you're super you know, young. The 20, you 20 and 30 year olds, <laughs> I mean, in, in terms of age, but, uh, right. but in terms of, you know, the, the mindset is, of why can't we do this mindset, right? Let me just be clear. There are very good reasons why there's certain regulations in place, essentially to prevent the scamming that happened all around the world in the ICO craze. Okay, so putting that aside, if we can do this in a very, uh, you know, in a safer manner that still looks after the investor protections, then why can't a retail investor get in on the next really cool startup? Why does it have to be kind of limited? Or why why it should a retail investor be limited to, you know, $2,500 or something like that? Yep. And when an accredited investor, by the way, who's, who's typically very wealthy, um, you know, they have much higher limits, uh, but they're not always, frankly, more intelligent or aware of what this new technology is. So we get a lot of people saying, well, I really understand this technology. Why am I limited to you know, a small, you know, a tiny little investment? What's the art of the possible? And, and how can we kind of get, how can we get a, a safe environment and it's not an or position and open it up to a broad kind of democratization of, of investing opportunities. Mm-hmm. This, this bridge is very much, it can be built. Like again, all regulations are not there to like, they're, they're not out to get us, right? Like the man isn't like putting us down or anything. And like you mentioned, what we've pretty much started the show off with like, Hey, these rules and regulations are put in place so that we don't get, any more scam, there's no pump and dumps. And then this whole potential market gets kind of blown to bits because there's no rules in place. It's the wild, wild west and everyone kind of gets screwed over, which is terrible. Since you are working with startups and I'm myself in the startup world, do you see ICOs taking over IPOs in the future? And I guess, what does the future of ICOs look like to you? Given that your opinion is a little bit more biased, but still. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, for sure. I'm, I'm biased in in looking at what the art of the possible is. 
So what is possible? And I don't, I've, you know, for the last couple of years since we started Token Funder, I didn't use the word ICO um, whenever I talk to anyone in, in the space. I mean, of course, the ICO term has taken off, but I more think of them in this initial token offerings and the token being the more generic form because not everything you put out there is a coin or a cryptocurrency. So that's kind of like, where, where do you see the future, right? I, I do think that token offerings and and this democratization of, of investing opportunities into innovation, into, into innovative startups will be a, a very real and is a very real alter, alternative funding mechanism for companies. Now, what that means is that there's going to be a transition period. So let's say, and and we all know what's going on with the broader cryptocurrency, you know, in quotes, marketplace today, right? So the value of it's down. It would seem that, you know, people, there's some people that... Um, that have lost uh, some amount of value and, and, and all that. But let's just, um, in, in one sense, uh, to put that aside, it's quite efficient to move anything of value, whether it be a share in a company or say, take this business and, and I'll, uh, I'll put 10% of this business onto, you know, into a token that people could buy into and, and then there's a marketplace for it. It's very efficient, and you don't need, you know, large infrastructure when you already have a, a public blockchain. You know, you don't need to use a traditional uh, funding vehicle. So people have also asked me, and I've addressed this in other um, in, in other conference panels and whatnot, whether this is you know the end of venture capital. And, and ultimately, the answer is not necessarily, because some companies may want just one or two people. Um, investing in them, and some companies might want thousands of people investing in them for for different reasons, for different business reasons. So there'll be a hybrid, but there's no question that the token offering the model is is a very efficient one. And you can just imagine, you know, in the future, you're going to have your wallet there, and you're going to have a wallet that shows some Canadian cash or some some other kind of currencies, and then you'll have you know, a share of, you know, so what's your startup called? It's called Curex. Okay, so Curex. So so I'll have a share of Curex alongside a share of, of Apple, alongside, you know, some crypto in a wallet. And if I want to sell that share of Curex, I, you know, I'll be able to do so with whatever is appropriate um, in, the, um, in the marketplace. And this will be the new way of our next generation of investing. And, and it's going to be powered by um, public blockchains, I believe. I'm I'm very excited for uh, to be one of those many thousands of uh, of investors. If anything, this is just another leg that's going to be attached to, be it VCs, be it any other investment funds out there, right? Because it's just, in a sense, they're just diversifying. And if anything, it's just going to be a supplement, right? Like it is an alternative way of funding. It's going to be a shift, right? Yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, where do, where uh, where do you want to take the conversation? Yeah, so uh, you did mention a little bit more of tokenized businesses. Could you talk a little bit more of that? What is a tokenized business? What does it mean? How do I get my startup to become a tokenized business? And I, I won't give you <laughs> I won't give you the, the the fully comprehensive answer, but but just think about 
think about some examples. Uh, tokenization is, um, is, is this mechanism of uh, enabling uh, fractional ownership and then the fairly easy um, transferability of that fractional ownership from person to person in, in a blockchain, right? Through the blockchain. All right. There's very recently an example where a company tokenized an, an entire uh, building. So you know, imagine an entire building thought of as, you know, a particular token. And then, and then imagine being, you know, on one side of the country and you just want uh, to invest in a, you know, in a fraction of a building that happens to be on the other side of the country, no problem. And then, you know, your, your circumstances change and, and you'd like to, you know, liquidate that and or the value of, it, of that building goes up, you can, you can basically sell your interest. Uh, this, this is t- technically so easy to do on the blockchain now. Is now we've just got to kind of connect the real world and the real world documentation that says, by the way, this building is represented on a blockchain officially at this location and now go like now it's available for for people to to buy into and and transfer uh that's that's really interesting so i've I've got a great interest in that there's other examples there's there's an example that i think is um is intriguing and 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 i'd be interested in your take on this or this company called rally road so they've they've now said you know we'll go out and on behalf of, of people, we'll go out and buy this this antique car. And this antique car is X, and it's a named vehicle. It's a real vehicle. Um, happens to have uh, you know value X today, and we believe that if if we hold on to it, it'll have value Y tomorrow. So we convert that into a token and and allow for fractional ownership of that particular antique car. And it's called Rally Road. So they're they're embarking on. Um, of tokenizing that kind of asset and then at some point you know on a fairly regular basis the company will presumably say okay so this asset is now worth x worth y and if you've got enough appreciation out of it uh, you can now sell your interest that sounds amazing i'd love to own a piece of like mm-hmm. a like a 1969 mustang or something that'd be, <laughs> oh, man. That'd be incredible that ford mustang would be uh would be exactly the kind of example that um, that I heard talked about. And so, oh wow, kinds of really interesting cars that that they happen to be focused on. So that's just that's just one model. So now, cars, real estate, you know, business, business shares, uh, you know, you name it. Any, any, essentially any asset. So I love just it. Kind of could, just kind of marry up the the um, legality of it and. And people are considering, you know, that the home or the the condo that you own, you know, if you, if you want some help in uh, owning that you know, that house or condo down the road, I'm, I'm sure it'll be quite possible that uh, you'll say, "Great, I've got this this residence um, that is, uh, you know, known in the world, you know, as registered by the government un- under this lot and you know identity." And oh, by the way, I'm I'm willing to. Uh, legally sell a fraction of it when it could be pretty easy for for, for uh that that business or that um that residence to be uh, tokenized 
Yeah, no, I love it. I'm I'm waiting for the day for a company to say like, "Hey, you want it? We tokenize it." <laughs> <laughs> so, so this is it. Token funders' um, vision here is to start with companies and uh, you know doing doing it in a manner that allows them to to say, "Let's let's call it equity. Mm-hmm. Let's call it uh, debt. Let's call it something like that." Um, and we'll do that, right? But we have. Um, We've got a lot of other interesting um, thoughts around how we can take the token model and, and not just be about um, capital raise. And so <laughs> some of those ideas um, I've, I've just kind of touched on here. So, you know, the whole that these, these other spaces certainly interest me. And, um, and, and then we become so. So the other thing I mentioned at the top of this um, chat with you is, mm-hmm. is we've said that um, uh, we're going to also uh, build a network around these companies that that we're currently helping, and and that's that's what I call this not just funding, but actually involved in the growth of the companies. So identifying kind of uh, advisors and and resources from wherever they might be, and and providing them with an incentive of a token, say. Uh, to to help that particular startup, so that you're not just then a startup that's only getting you know help and and guidance from those immediately around you, but but that that can come from anywhere in the world if you incentivize it through a token structure. Wow, I I can't wait till that. That'll be that'll be that'll be We're very interesting. It. Yeah, no, We're I mean, working on it. No, that that wow, no, that's that, that's incredible. I can't, I can't wait for that to like have like a nice network or even. You can even probably call it a community of just advisors exactly. and just people, be it from actual customers that are willing to use it or be it from actual like VCs that, that are willing to like, oh, you know, I yeah. can definitely see that like the actual implementation of this X, Y, and Z product or yeah. service that you might have, right? I'm just going to, I'm just going to add a little reality to this right now. So oh, I, please. I just recently came from the, uh, the global um, Ethereum developers conference called DevCon in Europe. As in Prague, and uh, there was there was thousands of developers um, continuing to to work on the next big thing, and and, and also creative um, people. So the UX is really important. Uh, the important thing that um, that that folks listening to this um, will probably uh, want to understand is is that we're we're not quite there in this new you know infrastructure called you know in this case Ethereum that it's scalable worldwide um, as, as we might want it to be. So uh, we expected that there was, there was going to be some changes this year. And so there was a lot of uh, kind of pent up uh, hope and, and, and all, you know, anticipation for, for upgrades to, to the public blockchain for scalability. And, and now it's being pushed into 2019, but it's not that far off. So, you know, while it's not, a platform that's fully scalable such that you know you can put every single asset in in the entire world on a public blockchain and and you know we can run a visa network on the public blockchain those are still very visionary but 2019 is now the the year that we can anticipate some upgrades to, to scalability and speed throughput um, on these blockchains so that's that's kind of a dose of reality that, i love it i, that, I can't so yeah everyone you heard it here first make sure 2019 you guys start earmarking for getting a piece of that ford mustang that i so so badly want <laughs> <laughs> there you go <laughs> i can't wait i can't wait so 
any, anything else that really excites you that's going on in the space other than owning a piece of a building and owning a piece of my dream car? Uh, I think it's generally really exciting that this is going to be a, a technology that um, will, will bring and, and has really kind of awakened, I'd say, a vast number of people in the population around asking real big questions around where's the power in today's society? Who's running our big financial systems? Are they running it the right way? Should we be decentralizing some of this power? I mean, these are really big questions. I don't have all the answers to them, but I think it's been really, the, the technology itself has been a really good catalyst to asking these questions and to, to ask questions of you know governments that that currently manage our central banks and central currencies when and if let's say in the coming years they'll start to suggest that uh, we're going to have central bank digital currencies as they are looking at today it's, it'll be really interesting and you know it, it's exciting to think about these things, but it also be interesting to think and and important for people to think about, you know, are they getting the privacy they need going forward? Are they getting investment opportunities? Is this technology decentralizing our power structures? What will happen if we have, you know, a, a central bank digital currency? I think it's actually opening up exciting conversations for, for a lot more people to understand how money moves, who manages our societies, who governs our societies, and how money flows, and and those are those are some really big socioeconomic questions in in the context of you know think think about this is not just a blockchain, but this is a technological shift that we're going through with uh, impact on a lot of jobs too. Oh, absolutely. So absolutely. You know, what do I think? I think that. Um, you know, opening up this dialogue about what is money, is, is Bitcoin money, is Ether money, should it be, or should it be something else? Um, this is an exciting time to be kind of challenging the status quo and and doing it, again, always doing it for the right reasons, right? Yeah, but, uh, absolutely. But for decades, that infrastructure that's uh, that's been very centralized and now people have the opportunity to, to rethink some of that with decentralizing technology rethink the fact that you know one or two or three very large companies own our social identity if you allow them to do so and we may have you know the decentralized version of facebook that gives you your identity back that's exciting it, it really is because yeah. it, it's this is the first time in i i, I kind of want to say first time in a long time where power is really going back to the people and the people actually have the power to fight back and every everybody's kind of looking at the current way the world works be it how the how the how money flows who actually runs and operates the money who and why they get to operate the money everyone is kind of looking at it as more they're looking at it more skeptically if anything right and they're they they're second guessing it and there's this again the technology is emerging where maybe not necessarily fight back, but maybe create a world where it's a little bit more of an evil playing field and where everybody and anybody can hopefully one day participate, own a you building, it. buy my dream car, you know, and right. take it from there. 
you said it, even playing field, and that's the whole discussion around decentralization. And, and is there what what playing fields are we evening? And uh, and it, I think it'll be a, a bigger, you know, wake up call. Should there be a? Uh, and nobody wants this, frankly. But should there be another recession? Because you know, in two thousand and eight, two thousand and nine, and we. We all lived through it. We we kind of woke up and realized, hey, our financial infrastructure is really entangled. And you know, something that happens in in Greece or in Italy or in you know, in, or here in the U.S. or somewhere could wreak contagion on on the broader world. And you know, we had a liquidity crisis that got people concerned that uh, they understood where and how you know our financial world was managed. And so. Nobody wants it, but uh, you know, think think about the fact that this is a disintermediating, a disintermediating, excuse me, technology. It's potentially decentralizing uh, existing power structures. It's uh, it could level the playing field. It could bring new opportunities for for people to decentralize. You know, large, I could call them kind of large centralized web properties that exist today. There's there's a there's a book that's out um, you know after Google, um, I may have, may not have the title exactly right, but um, you know it's a discussion it's a it's a book about how the blockchain will in fact um, decentralize what Google looks like today, and this is a new time. I mean it opens up a lot of new questions and. Maybe I'll just leave it there because, uh, you know, I don't have all the answers. No, no. I, <laughs> but, I think, but, I think but it's certainly a, it's an exciting time. Yeah, no, I, I think this is a great way to to really end it. Like, this is, I'm, I'm excited. I mean, I get to own my dream car a lot faster than I thought I could. Oh, I get to get into real estate a lot faster. Oh, I'm very, I'm very fired up. <laughs> Maybe a thousandth of that dream car. <laughs> oh, I mean, hey, uh, <laughs> I'd I, I rather own a piece of it than none of it at all. <laughs> very good. All right. So, Alan, thank you so much for, again, coming on the show. I can't wait to have you on again. And thanks for re refiring the dream. <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited for you. And uh, it's a pleasure to be here with you today. Absolutely. All right, Alan. So, thank you again. Uh, so, on the behalf of the National Fintech and Crowdfunding Association, I wish you an amazing Fintech Friday and weekend. You've been listening to Fintech Fridays, brought to you by NCFA and Partners. Tune in weekly for the latest Fintech Friday podcast by subscribing to this channel. The National Crowdfunding and Fintech Association of Canada is a nonprofit actively engaged with social and investment fintech sectors around the globe and provides education, research, industry stewardship, services, and networking opportunities to thousands of members and subscribers. For more information, please visit ncfacanada.org.